You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Na, 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 na. Hi, Hannies. It's Amiria Sai, and you're back for season two of The Take On. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Take On. It's Amir Yaz. I'm here with my new friend, Ahmed Eldin. You've literally been my go-to source for Palestine. Anything, anytime anyone messaged me, like, what do I do? What do I, I'm like, go to this profile now. So I'm just like kind of fangirling. I've had housewives on here, drag queens, celebrities. <laughs> I've never fangirled more than you. Um, so I just can't wait to jump in. <laughs> that's a, that's a lot to live up to. Yeah. Usually after I fangirl, I jump into things too. Awesome. I love that. I mean, listen, your resume is like fucking bonkers. So I, I would love to go through all of it, but it'll take up too much time. You're amazing. No, I mean, please let's spare us no, all. Spare us no, all. I, I don't want to spare us all. I want to say it cause it's amazing. Um, first of all, I love middle Eastern people that are living and thriving. Cause me being Persian, mm-hmm. like I say it a hundred times on this podcast, everyone knows, but I just love seeing middle Eastern people thriving. Not only were you on the Forbes list, you know, innovators disruptors mm-hmm. hello vice mm-hmm. you've worked at al jazeera english i mean so mm-hmm. much stuff like i mean it's insane huff post i mean the list goes on and on emmy nominated like producer you've done docs you're working on a bunch of series with different people i mean it's quite impressive and the list goes on and on but the what i loved about your profile is kind of what i strive to do with my profile is bringing that kind of vulnerability and humanity to topics that are seem kind of indestructible right and undiscussable. I like to call that, I use that word. It's not a real world word, but like for me, it's like being a queer Muslim, like dismantling those topics. Like people are like, you can't do it. And I'm living proof that you can. And what I love about your profile is the way that obviously you are Palestinian. So that helps to humanize it. But that vulnerability of discussing topics that are very cerebral and very smart, but then you bring the humanity to it. So my first question right off the bat is, how do you deal with the burnout, right? Being activists like we are, you you reach a wall, right? You're like, the world is fucked. Children are being murdered. What the fuck, right? So how do you navigate that burnout? And then we're going to obviously break down like exactly what's happening for people who don't know. So first answer my burnout question. No, I think your burnout question is is probably the most important question to address, not just for me, but also, you know, we're talking about activism, but also the people on the ground whose lives are affected by this obviously are the most burnt out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, this is a conflict that's been going on for decades. So I just want to kind of, you know, check my own sort of relative privilege. But to your point, it's, it's, it's no small thing to empathize and to get exhausted emotionally, physically, when you feel so compelled to try and 
you know, I don't want to say the voice of the voiceless, but to kind of amplify the voices of the marginalized, the misrepresented. And, you know, it was it was only in, until very recently that I realized I have trauma, you have trauma, we all have trauma. Of course, yep. the children, unfortunately, in Gaza, more than anyone that I can think of at this moment, not only have trauma, but are traumatized upon trauma, upon trauma. It's almost like all they know is trauma. And what I'm getting at is, I used to think trauma was something you had to experience individually, um, you know, for it to really affect you. But as you must know, uh, in journalism or in activism, trauma is also something that you can kind of experience and be affected by and suffer from when it's vicarious, right? When you're, you're empathizing, when you're listening, when you're, even if you're not there, uh, just, you know, consuming news or consuming information or hearing heartbreaking stories and especially when it's visceral, like when I was, you know, a field correspondent, whether it was children who were being abused and cyber sec- forced into cyber sex shows or young children in Palestine or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, for me, I'm exhausted. And I think the thing is, you just got to kind of have conviction and also have a sense of balance and have some mm-hmm. have some kind of self-awareness and like rely on people around you to be really honest the last two weeks I just kind of relatively ceased to exist in like the actual place (laughs) that I am physically uh and it wasn't until you know I mean I know that sounds dramatic but what I mean is like the people around me my parents my family my friends my partner like they were all like just are you okay are you okay and it just got to a point where I would just explode when they'd say are you okay because Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 um it's very difficult to stay optimistic or even stay effective in terms of how you communicate or how you advocate or how you draw attention to things when, you know, there's a sense of either hopelessness or just exhaustion because yeah, the world's fucked up. And (laughs) I worked for Vice and I can tell you in one year I made about five, six docs and you know, Vice's whole ethos. I mean, one of them was actually in Palestine and Israel. Um, but, but their whole ethos is like, kind of like we go to the darkest corners of the world and tell you the world's fucked up and it's probably going to get worse. And there's almost (laughs) nothing you can do about it. And I gotta be honest. So true. (laughs) I, right. I went gray. Uh, all my, like half my head became gray. I just had all these ailments, like joint pain, like had to do all these geriatric exercises for months after I (laughs) I quit that job. Um, not to, not to have a pity party, but, but to, to kind of. You're right. It can be taxing on your physical body and your emotional well-being and health. So, yeah, like having people around you who check you. Absolutely. And you know, that's a real thing with activists drop dead. They have high blood pressure. I know psychosomatic responses. I mean, that's a real thing. Like when they kept showing the George Floyd footage and, you know, you know, today is George Floyd's one year anniversary. It's like it's, it's just so they kept showing it, they kept showing it, they kept showing it. And then the, the news eventually realized this is traumatic for a lot of people, right? It's kind of like the Twin Towers. I remember they kept showing the planes going in, the planes going in. And then they realized, I, I took a journalism class at USC and it's like, it was all about like not having a bias, not, you know, you you can't like, you have to show footage that sometimes is kind of traumatizing over and over again because that's part of reporting the news. What's the line, right? Like, especially when it comes to children, like there's a lot of stuff around Palestine where right now they're rounding up children and they're arresting them and they're shooting a 15 year old like a lot of this like footage where do you think and i mean and i hate to single out white people but i feel like those are the people like kind of like the white guilt the white tears the the, the right. like 
They right. can change. They're allowed to change the channel. Like if you're a white straight man in America, you can really change the channel on Palestine, on black issues, on queer issues, because it doesn't really affect you directly. So yeah. we're, what's the onus on the news to kind of like not overdo it where people are kind of desensitized and they're like, Ugh, I don't, I'm not watching this. Like I'm changing the channel. Right. <laughs> you're, you're coming at me with all the kind of like profound questions because <laughs> it's no, but, but, but for real, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like when I was at HuffPost working at AOL, I had a show called world brief where, you know, we would cover kind of what's happening around the world. And guess what? A lot of the world has a lot of people who are, you know, having their human rights being violated systematically. Yep. And, and then the question arises often, and it did with producers and editors and even between you and yourself um, of, you know, why should we show this? Why shouldn't we show this? Um, I think for me, my barometer is always to check myself with the purpose. What is the intention of showing this footage? Is it just to, you know, pluck at heartstrings? Is it to educate? Is it to inform? Is it to provide context? Is it to show you things that happen that no one ever sees to try and provoke a conversation? And only you between you and yourself, uh, you know, as a storyteller, whether you're a journalist, producer, really know how to answer those questions, whether you're being honest and candid. But I will tell you, or I'll say, and I will tell you that the reason um, I kind of, I kind of feel that sometimes what happens is we choose to kind of not show things, especially the mainstream, as I'm sure you know, whether it's about, you know, immigrant families or black people in America or Palestinians in Israel or it's we we sometimes erase people whether intentionally or not by not documenting or or showing or airing their suffering, um, especially if there's like a kind of David and Goliath uh, dynamic, r regardless of what kind of like you know argument we're talking about or conflict or what have you. And um, yeah, it's it's a fine line. I think purpose, like what is the motivation in all its nuances? Maybe you're trying to show like. In Syria, when, when there were, you know, chemical weapons allegedly used on children and all this, you know, these attacks at HuffPost, the reason I brought that up is, you know, there was straight up censorship due to the fact that I showed footage that was pretty jarring and, and kind of heartbreaking and shocking, right? And and painful to watch, almost regardless of, sure, sure they were Syrian children, but, you know, children are children, right? I mean, that's... Right. In three words, if I had to sum up kind of the whole last two weeks of the Israel and Palestine of it all, I think it might just be children or children. Mm -hmm. And like you go think about that and do some Googling and, and see what, what, you know, where you settle on the issue. Absolutely. And you, if you don't feel things, I was telling someone, I was like, if children are not going to make you feel something, nothing will. <laughs> like, right. If that's right. not going to make you go, oh, wait a second. With Americans, it's either children or dogs, right? So right. It, it's like one <laughs> or the other. And I say that kind of flippantly because it's true. Like there was a sign at one of the protests where it said, you care more about your dog's life than Palestinian lives. Yeah. 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 And that's no, a real, I mean, that's a real thing. You, you know, it's interesting when you say children, like, yeah, children are children. Uh, again, I'm back to the why, like, why is it children or dogs? And I think it's because like, there's a level of a lack of consent, right? Um, you know, yes. this is a child beyond the vulnerability of, of children and, you know, kind of the, the, the innate wisdom that they have and the, the, the way they kind of reduce things to like profound truths in certain moments. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, They're deep AF. Children yeah, are deep. They're, they're like a little too deep, let's be real. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes for my taste. But no, it, it, it's, yeah. I mean, I showed those videos and then there was an email sent from AOL 
which was owned by Verizon. Of course, AOL owned HuffPost. And there had been some murmurings about like objections to me humanizing Palestinians at AOL uh, and at HuffPost um, in the sense that like I would bring on Palestinians who were like tech geeks and like journalists and they would talk about their lives and like their struggle kind of outside of like conflict and war. And, and um, anyway, once the Syrian war happened. And what year was this? Real this quick, was about, I think, 2016-ish, okay. 2000. Okay, yeah, and, and all this got to it. say, um, I'm not trying to like, you know, it, it, this is like corporate America we're talking about. And obviously we all know there are like boundaries and limits. And, and for due reason, right. if you look at like HuffPost Live was like streaming online and TV has all these rules and regulations that like obviously the internet didn't and doesn't really to this day. But all this to say, I showed the, fo- the footage as someone was talking about it, Right. So it's not like I'm just looping footage like as propaganda <laughs> to try to, you know, because right. that's actually done in a lot of countries and a lot of news stations all over the world. Um, mm-hmm. But but again, it, it made sense in the context of like what we were discussing. And it was powerful and it was impactful right. and it was uncomfortable. Right. But guess what? Like privileged people around the world, like your privilege is because you're comfortable. Um, and if we just Amen. choose not to show discomfort, I mean... I think we're doing ourselves a disservice in trying to like, whether as activists or as journalists or as people who want progress and change and equality and justice. And, you know, those things have always guided me as I tell stories, whether it's been like as a hard news journalist or like making documentaries or what have you, you know, and I I have no apologies. Like I'm totally unapologetic about that. And I'm also unapologetic about showing children suffering, whether in Palestine, Syria, in Detroit, in Chicago, um, Flint, Michigan. I mean, you know, suffering is important. Um, otherwise, you know, people get erased. Well, people not only get erased, but the history gets retold, right? If, if in the UK mm-hmm. they're teaching American slavery, you're stepping outside of the fact that you are the father of racism and created colonialism. Like those ways that we can retell stories. If we're going to have our children in Utah sit out of America, Black History Month, we're going to mm-hmm. allow people to not hear the truth. It's kind of like when my parents pulled me out of sex ed in sixth grade and then I came back in ninth grade and I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know, like <laughs> that kind of like, I mean, it's I'm being, I'm joking, but like it's kind of like when you pull people out of stuff, then they mm-hmm. get traumatized when they hear the news. I have so, I have, Literally, I have like 50 DMs right now of white guilt because mm-hmm. a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I'm like, as a Middle Eastern person from day one, we've mm-hmm. talked about Palestine. From day one, we've talked mm-hmm. about, and being Muslim, you're bred. And I've had to work on my anti-Semitism because it's kind of bred into you. It's like, and it's bred into Jewish children right. as well. It's the same thing. It, this right. idea that anti-Semitism, Islamophobia is the same thing. It's just in a different dress, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I've spent so much of my life and also my dad, don't speak Farsi at the airport, keep your right. mouth shut, don't right. talk about right. Palestine at work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've worked as a producer in Hollywood for 15 years. You know how many times I've had to bite my tongue over Palestine? How many <laughs> things? And I look white. So people say the most <laughs> fucked up things to me because they're like, yeah. oh, you're you're good. You're in. You're like blonde. Yeah, you're you look fair. You're yeah. one of us, and I am surely not one of you, right? I'm a queer Persian Muslim. I'm the farthest thing from being white. So I think mm-hmm. for me, it's like, it, mm-hmm. it's crazy because like this dichotomy of these conversations around Palestine, there's something different in the air. And even with the BLM movement, like I right. know Patricia right. Colors, like that started in 2013. There was something different this year. There was an energy in the air. And I think even with Palestine, there's a shift, right? You have Bella Hadid, Dua Lipa, Gigi Hadid, their father, all these people that have millions of followers, like, speaking on these things, losing opportunities possibly down the line. And, you know, I've lost opportunities. Like I was interviewed by this producer who was like, oh, where's your family from? And the minute I said Iran, there was a shift. Like, yeah, I'm not no. getting that job anymore, you know? Yeah. So yeah. do you, do you feel that shift? 
do you feel that energy shift? Yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, I definitely feel an, a shift. I think the tide is turning towards um, a more true depiction of what's happening on the ground and, and also the yeah. history and the narrative to your point, you know, you don't just erase their suffering. You erase like right. a part of the narrative, right. That is, that is lived and continues to be experienced by, by these marginalized groups. Um, I will say, uh, you know, you mentioned black lives matter or, the, you know, the, the BLM movement. It is, yeah. it is definitely not a coincidence, um, that we're mm. seeing the shift after kind of the mobilization under Trump of Black Lives Matter, as well as all the other intersectional resistance um, that we've seen. And, and to be kind of, I mean, more power to Dua and Gigi and Bella and, and whoever else is, and, you know, John Oliver and, and you know, John Legend and the few celebrities yeah. who do, you know, huge A-list celebrities, if you will, who put their... That's you know, new. Like Kristen yeah. Bell. I was like, yeah. Kristen Bell? Yeah. Like, really? Like, I've never seen her be political. I was like, I mean, what? look, look, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to keep it 100 with you. Yeah. Keep it. That is, that is new. But, but there have been people who have spoken out and suffered the consequence in Hollywood. Absolutely. Um, Sarah Absolutely. Silverman made a shift a few years ago. Natalie Portman mm. used to go to Israel and she was like, you know, doing all these brand things and she's made a shift and she reemerged now. Um, celebrities wow. needing to speak out about this and increasingly doing so to me only highlights the decades long kind of censorship and self-censorship, both by like mainstream media, whether the New York Times or what have you, also cable TV. I mean, even on MSNBC, you have Mehdi Hassan, you have Ayman Muhyiddin, you have um, coverage that is that is nuanced, that is contextual. You hear from young Palestinians who've been born into this, you know, this, this horrible situation. You hear from Mohammed al-Kurd who says, I'm being ethnically displaced, I'm being ethnically cleansed. Whether you agree or not, um, those point of views and those perspectives, to your point, coupled and compounded by celebrities, I mean, right, they're, they're kind of feeding each other, right? Because we're seeing all these decentralization of media and we're seeing these voices emerge, we're seeing young, uh, non kind of, I mean, look, the media at one point was like this authoritative function. It served an authoritative function, right? It was like, there mm -hmm. were certain white old men. Let's just keep it a hundred who, yeah. Walter who, Cronkite. That's who right, I think and of. Tom, and I've interviewed some of them and, and, you know, it's not to take sure. anything away from them. And I've, I've learned from them over the years and, but you know, there was a time when it was up to them to dictate like what is newsworthy. Like it was like the six o'clock news. That's how it started. Right. I mean, how can you fit yeah. everything into the six o'clock news now with the 24 hour news cycle, all this stuff and people in positions of relative, you know, power at these news organizations or, or platforms, let's say are pushing. And it's a constant fight for all of us. I mean, I should be the next, I know this is going to sound like the most pompous, arrogant thing I've ever said. And my sister, she's, she's listening, is going to just <laughs> use it against me for the rest of my life. But you know, the yeah. CNN execs at CNN International, including the head top honcho guy, flew me to Atlanta. I did screen tests with some of the other anchors. They were like, the feedback was like, I've never even, like whether sex or like at, in high school, no one's ever given me such great feedback as I got from <laughs> like, no, really, really. And, and, you know, long story short, they send me a contract. I was supposed to anchor like CNN International's news, uh, you know, yeah. and, and long story shorter, 
the day before I'm supposed to travel, the senior producer, after like months of negotiations, all this stuff and signing the contract, I was super excited. Like I thought they were calling me at the last minute to be like, we have to get you like a holiday in because all the other like nice boutique hotels aren't available. But turns out they pulled the plug. <laughs> and the only thing that, what? you know, yeah, at the last minute they were like, he called me and he was like, well, for now it's a no go. Like it was like February what? in New York. I was carrying my laundry. I was so happy. I just moved out of my apartment. I'm going to be in like, you know, Hotlanta for, you know, a couple months. I'm going to do the CNN yeah. thing. They were like, you're going to be the next Anderson Cooper. All this to say, not only the way in which it all of a sudden dissolved, even though I had already signed the contract. Um, when Hella I asked, unprofessional, yeah, first off. <laughs> yeah, but when I asked about it, you know, and I, it, it was like they were avoiding saying because of what you've said on the record about Palestine in your reporting and your writing, but they said it without saying it. Um, and, you know, we've seen mm -hmm. Mark Lamont Hill. I mean, there are countless examples, and even you. Like all of us, we've whether Palestine or even other issues, like there are certain things that and Palestine, Israel, obviously in US media and in Hollywood is kind of the among all the kind of taboos. Like that's the one that for too long, for so long, you couldn't push on. And if you, you did, couldn't mention yeah. it, I'm telling you, yeah. I almost got fired because yeah. I all I, I said it. was all I said was this is literally all I said. I was like, this issue is very complicated. That's all I said. And someone said, it's not complicated. We deserve the land. And if you say that again, you're fired. And I was like, and a lot of times it's easy now when I have a, a platform and a privilege and I have a job and I don't need anyone. But sometimes when you're getting paid $10 an hour and you have to pay your fucking rent, when someone says that, you do get silenced. I mean, it's easy now to speak up, right? I lost 2,000 followers. I've gotten so much hate mail. I mean, people have said, oh, they, if you were in the Middle East, they push you off a roof. I mean, people have said such vile things to me. And again, it's not stuff that I haven't heard, but it's just, it's so funny because it's, again, in the scope of just speaking up, right? But how do you navigate that? You were saying um, kind of on that, like with the CNN, how do you not get frustrated when they give you an opportunity, they take it away? And of course, this is who you are. You have to speak on it, right? So how right, do you navigate right. the frustration of that? I wish I could, um, you know, speak about it as if I've succeeded in, in kind of overcoming it and not letting it bother me. But I think oh, yeah. it's, it's about channeling the frustration. It's not like you said, how do you not get frustrated? I know that's not what you meant because I am frustrated. Even now I'm frustrated. Sure. Like, I, sure. you know, I, I gained however many thousand followers. My videos were viewed tens of millions of times in the last yeah. two weeks. Not yeah. because I'm some brilliant, like, you know, m manipulator of Instagram and I know how to do all. <laughs> it's literally because... Um, I think I have a certain amount of credibility, but quite frankly, the images and the footage with the little bit of context I provide speaks for itself so powerfully because of the vacuum, because of the silence otherwise, because there's a novelty to it, um, because you don't get it generally elsewhere. And now that we're starting to see it on social media, we're starting to see it in the mainstream on the Israel-Palestine of it all. And we're starting to humanize Palestinian people. Unfortunately, I think the conversation is still too much about death and loss and victimization and, oh, there's suffering. And it's true. But, you know, in Gaza, they celebrated um, despite losing, you know, almost 70 children and 250 people and entire neighborhoods being destroyed. They celebrated a victory, not for any other reason other than if you think about it, to survive against, you know, the fourth most powerful military in the world after having survived previous bombardments and previous wars and there's a siege a naval blockade an aerial blockade a blockade by land you know um it's it's seen as a victory because 
surviving is is victorious when when the the disproportionate power dynamic is as extreme as it is. And so for mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of what happened this time is not just people were like courageous. It's not like Bella. I mean, how can I put this? I think it's a it's it's a really like there's a lot of um, truth to the fact that if more people saw and lived or experienced on some level, obviously seeing through social media is a form of experiencing, right? Um, right. What is happening and the disparity between the two populations and how they live, whether that's in the occupied West Bank or in Gaza or even inside Israel when we saw those lynch mobs and like the sort of civil war and the attacks on Jewish people. And I mean, it's hard to come away. And like in the words of, I think it was John Legend, who was like, clearly it's wrong what is happening to the Palestinians. He said that a year ago. He said, it's kind of just a baseline human position. And um, everything else around it is but, kind of... But yeah. a lot of people don't agree with that. There's a lot of people that don't agree that it's something wrong because they're like, they're defending themselves. Like a lot of people don't think it's wrong. Right. And, That's the problem. And, and, and the, the, the way I, I try to engage those people as much as you know one has to or should is, is not right. just to say, why don't you think it's wrong? It's like... You can't Jewish people it like you can't equate Jewish people's safety as justifying someone else's demise and destruction and death. Um, because right. I really do think right. it's kind of co-opting kind of the trauma and the tragedy and the horrific nature of the Holocaust and the collective punishment and the extermination and the ethnic cleansing that Jewish people people endured just decades ago. So right. even though right. it's not looking the exact same way. Um, that's what's most offensive and frustrating, quite frankly. It's not because I'm Palestinian. It's because I'm human. I mean, I'm not right. like, sure, it's part of my identity. I'm more emotional about it. It affects me more. I have more skin in the game. But like to watch any time in my reporting when I see history repeat itself or when I see like in relationships, you know, you're cheated on the next time you're, you you cheat on your, your partner. Like there is this thing yeah. about human nature. And I hate to make this comparison, like if it's reductive, but Hurt people really do hurt people. Um, because, it's a real thing. Yeah. That's a real thing. Like, it's, and that I don't think that's reductive because it simplifies it to the point where people can digest it. Like, even my uncle is a very world, world-renowned psychologist, and he said a lot mm-hmm. of times people who are abused, mm-hmm. Holocaust being let, you know, all the cartoons and the way that people put down Jewish people. Sometimes that trauma be, you become the abuser. Right. That, that is a right. real thing and you when you get power and this even happens in the queer community i've seen Mm -hmm. people bully each other the worst messages i've gotten are from other queer people because it's Mm -hmm. like they were hurt coming out is really traumatic like it gets all very convoluted and people sometimes don't understand that these issues at their core Mm -hmm. like you said history is repeating itself Mm -hmm. it's ethiopia it's black people in america it's queer people it's middle eastern people i mean 9 11 i mean my mom wears hijab she was called a terrorist people try to rip her hijab off i mean she was in palestine and she said when she would go to a restaurant in Tel Aviv, people would look at her, they think she's a suicide bomber. Mm -hmm. I mean, these Mm -hmm. kind of traumas and a lot of people on the ground here, they keep going back to this all lives matter, right? I get a lot of messages. Why can't love heal it all? Or even my dad, and he's very well Mm -hmm. informed. He was like, he's never been to Israel. He was like, well, Israeli people are scared too. I'm like, (laughs) they're scared in a very different way. They are Mm -hmm. protected. Like this whole occupied, you know, West Bank, then you have Gaza and Israel. A lot of people don't know the specifics. So if you don't mind to kind of maybe break it down for us? Well, the specifics of the history of it all, or? Well, like, what it all means, for a lot of people, they keep messaging me, and they're like, 
okay, I don't understand what's the difference between occupied West Bank, Gaza. Like, people get really confused. Like, how far is it? Like, people don't know really a lot of the basics. Like, if we could break down some of the basics, like, how far is it from Israel? I mean, sorry, from yeah, Tel yeah, Aviv, no, no. let's say, to. No, that, that's Al- good. I mean, look, look, there was, um, we often hear of the term historical Palestine. You might see it on Twitter. That basically refers mm-hmm. to everything that is now modern day Israel. That is not Gaza and not the occupied West Bank. Um, So basically, Yaffa, Tel Aviv, Haifa, Nazareth, there are a lot of these cities that are in Israel that have a substantial large population still of Palestinians who never fled, um, even though, you know, they they just endured kind of the violence and and they they stuck there. And, And, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is Israel is a state that is a settler colonial state like many states Mm -hmm. whose origins started by either genocide or kicking people out or ethnic cleansing. Israel is certainly not alone in that, in that regard. No, they're not. Um, New Zealand, America, America, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but but for this to have happened 60 years ago, just a few years after, you know, thousands of Jewish immigrants or refugees escaped Europe in world war two. I mean, I'm not trying to retell history. I'm going to, kind of give you a brief breakdown of from my point of view, you know, as the son of two Palestinian people whose families were both like my dad's families from Yaffa, which is basically right next door to Tel Aviv, my mom's family's from Haifa. Um, and basically, you know, in the 30s and the 40s, like refugees who were Jewish, who were fleeing the Holocaust and the beginnings of the Holocaust before it, you know, reached the tragedy, epic tragedy that it did. Like they, they, they started arriving and they were actually accepted in Palestine and Palestine was under British mandate at the time. But, you know, for people who say like Palestine doesn't exist or, you know, there were, you know, a lot of Jewish people, including Peter Beinart and a lot of people who've been writing recently are kind of coming to this kind of confrontation with the myth, a myth of what, you know, the land of Israel was like before, uh, the state was declared a state in 1948. It's described often as like a desert where no Palestinians were. And, you know, that's just a lie. It's a lie that's concocted Mm. to kind of, I mean, there were not only were, there were Jewish people, there were Muslim people, there were Christian people, but the majority were Arab and they were Palestinian Arab, you know, and even the term Arab is used to erase kind of the Palestinian culture and identity. So all this to say they arrived, there were literally straight up terrorist militias, um, you know, that were based around Zionism. Zionism is, in my mind, an inherently racist and discriminatory ideology. Uh, it is a yes, way, is. yeah, and it's a way to kind of co-opt Judaism, I would argue, uh, to justify. I mean, if you think about what what's happening in Israel, even though it's on the state level, sorry, I'm jumping all over the place for your viewers, but... No, no, is, it's fine. I feel Please. like the history lesson might be might be a little less impactful, but, but if you think about it, like, you know, people talk about, like, Israel's propaganda mostly relies on equating Hamas to all Palestinians, right? And equating yep. Hamas. I've seen all those messages. Yeah, trust and equating, me. every time I post, you're supporting Hamas. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. Hamas was created in 1987. This conflict has been going on way before that. Yeah. So I, to blame Hamas on everything when the literally the IDF is taking credit for blowing up that yeah. bomb and putting like that apartment building and putting the before and after me. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, how are you well, saying it's Hamas well, when is, they literally is, but, are taking credit? But, but look, like this is nefarious, manipulative attempts yeah. to erase a people, 
to erase human beings. And, <sighs> and what I'm trying to yep. get at is like when they equate Hamas to terrorists, when they do all these things in their propaganda, it's, 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 it's serving a lot of different functions and the most like effective, but also like, I think offensive and obscene one is beyond the dehumanization. They're trying to reduce the conflict to, to justify not just what's happened since Hamas was established to your point in the eighties, but to justify their, their right by leveraging the trauma and the guilt associated with the Holocaust and the ancestral trauma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when people say that it can sound like, Oh, he's never going to get a job again. How could dare he speak about the Holocaust? But like, yo, let's be real for a second. Like, let's really be real. If you read any statement by APAC or any of the kind of major American Jewish organizations, you'll find endless references to Hamas. Hamas and terrorists. But you almost won't ever yeah. find a reference to Palestinians. That's intentional. If you look at Biden's statements this past week, beyond blocking the ceasefire attempts of the UN Security Council Ugh. three times, he never really even mentions Palestinian as a word, except when referring to the impotent Palestinian authority. Now, I don't want to overcomplicate oh, this, but God. what I will say is, you know, no, you're not. You're not. It's, you know, the whole like Biden thing is quite disappointing because it's like you're driving hydrogen cars as like 70 children are murdered. I just the thing with America I don't understand is that we are so traumatized and upset when other countries do stuff like if Iran was doing this, there would be literally like bombs thrown yeah. at them. Yeah, like, no. I just don't I don't understand. Well, that's the thing. Like <clears throat> there's such an obvious double but, standard. But that's you know? exactly not just the double standard. I mean, literally, if you look at the news, if you look at the Biden administration, if you look at Israeli propaganda, and there's an argument to say that a lot of those three things are one and the same, and they're in, in you know, working right. together. Um, Palestinians, as human beings have been and continue to be dehumanized, our deaths don't matter, our dignity yes. doesn't matter, our lives don't matter, our basic human rights don't matter, our access to water, our freedom of movement, our ability, like literally the way that the, the denial that this is an apartheid state to anyone who truly understands what apartheid is, is laughable. It is laughable if it it would be laughable <laughs> if it wasn't so shameful. And that's to your point, the extent But everyone's that quoted it too, Ahmad, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. have so many famous people that yeah. have quoted like and not only Einstein, but then Nelson Mandela. Right. They all said yeah. it. Like people that are at the center of these things. Sorry, I'm getting really passionate because I get, get really like passionate. I, I get know. overwhelmed. I'm trying to, not, I'm trying to <laughs> balance Because I'm like, out. hello. Yeah, I know. Hello. But but but, like, but it's the foreign policy equivalent of of the way Donald Trump and his like clown clown posse talk about people who immigrate across <laughs> America's border. They're not Central Americans. They're not humans. They're illegals. We use terminology yes. to dehumanize people. And when you do that over decades, Amen. yeah, you get to a point where um, you're right. Even though there are double standards, one, I mean, look, I don't need to tell you, we, we all live in the United States of America in 2021, 2020. We know that not everyone's life, it matters the same as others like whether based on ethnicity, you know, race, discrimination. So what I was trying to say earlier about what I find so offensive and sick about Zionism and the whole Jewish state's right to self-defense um, and to collectively punish an entire group of people based on their ethnicity or their religion, as we know, you know, they're trying to do. What's so offensive about it is that they see, keep saying Hamas is ISIS, Hamas is terrorist, you know. Well, I, what is ISIS and what, what do Muslim extremists do? Every time I'm invited onto CNN or MSNBC, I have to apologize on behalf of like all Muslims. And I, why aren't there more moderate mm. Muslims? If I had a dollar for every time a news segment was why aren't, was where it was asking questions about why aren't there more Muslims condemning like Muslim 
bombings and extremisms, I would be so rich. I can't even tell you. Like on the flip side, on the flip side, what is Israel doing? It is using Judaism, right? Zionism is a form of Judaism. It's the Jewish state to justify the murder of children, you know, the bombing of hospitals, journalists, entire neighborhoods. And it's become so normalized. Like, sure, Arab states like Bahrain and the UAE regretfully and shamelessly are normalizing with Israel. You know what's worse is how the normalization of, you know, what Israel can get away with in the name of fighting Hamas, you know, these horrible, we've demonized. <laughs> and Hamas is what? First of all, it's 2.2 million people in Gaza. Like, how many of them are Hamas? Most Palestinians don't support any of the political groups, whether Hamas, Fatah, right. any of the militant groups. That's a fact. That's how disillusioned they are by their dehumanization and the occupation. There's When I did a, my last doc for Vice on HBO, now I'm rambling, but 70%, 80% of young Palestinians were like, Screw Mahmoud Abbas. They haven't had elections in over a decade. Screw Hamas. Screw everyone. And that's why we went to right. tell that story. Because, you know, the dehumanization is, is happening on all sides. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of Palestinian leadership are complicit in the occupation. And one thing I will Absolutely. say is Peter Beinart, I hate to keep coming back to him, but he's been writing some really powerful, important stuff. Because I think what you're starting to see is not just celebrities. You're seeing... A, coali- a coalition, thanks to Black Lives Matter, thanks to the connection between the two movements, thanks to the trips that people have taken from Black Lives. Um, oh, sorry, I'm typing again. It's just instinctive. Like that's all I've been doing for two weeks. Um, but but <laughs> you're busy. It's no, but, but like you know, the, in 2015, like a thousand one hundred Black activists, scholars, yeah. artists, student organizations, they signed a solidarity statement with Palestine. That was like over six, seven years ago. Um, And they saw commonality between how Palestinians are treated by Israel's police and military, which, by the way, train like dozens and dozens of police forces in the U.S. There are like joint trainings. And that's not a coincidence. So there is commonality between the mass incarceration of black people in the U.S., the political imprisonment of black people, uh, you know, the soldiers and police and courts in the U.S. that justify lethal force against black people and their children who aren't posing an imminent threat, who aren't armed. It's the same thing in Palestine. Sure, they're very different. We can't equate them, the two struggles. But to your point about like the conversation shifting, it's because within young Jewish America and other Jewish populations, there's a shift and a reckoning and an awakening um, in terms of how we view um, our right to live in freedom and dignity as, for example, Jewish people. But what 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 are we causing as a result of, you know, like, defending that right against no matter what. Um, And, you know, there's also a whole nother thing to be said about, like people started paying attention to this in the media, as always, when the narrative became Hamas firing rockets into Israel, Israel bombarding Gaza, like that plays out every few years over and over. It's a convenient, familiar narrative that reduces and oversimplifies the context and, and completely eliminates the context. Like there was the holy month of Ramadan, like how many news organizations on TV in the U.S. actually addressed any of the Israeli aggression leading up to this latest no. war? You know, and, and it's, so it's it's kind of it's exhausting. You're right. It's frustrating. But I'm inspired and I'm hopeful <laughs> and I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because I think people, different people in different parts of the world that can impact this conversation and shift the conversation are speaking out, even if some of them you know, Absolutely. regret it uh, a couple of days later. 
as we saw, you know, Mark, right. Mark Ruffalo and others <laughs> um, doing. <laughs> they get a little scared. You know, they have deals with these networks. I get it. Netflix, I mean, Hulu. I've had those deals. Like, yeah, there's, I'm scared no, too. Like, look, look. I'm scared. Yeah, and I get it. And unfortunately, no, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're being so candid about it because. No, I'm very honest. Yeah. If my producer is very pro-Palestinian, I'm not going to lie to you because this is, I'm pitching a scripted show about my life. Yeah. I wouldn't have posted had she not been pro-Palestinian because I'm not going to lie to you. Like yeah. I have to pay my bills. No, no, like, I know. And, and that's a real thing. Yeah, that's a real thing. And that's why I'm being honest. Cause I think a lot of people feel like I have to speak up and I get that, but there are consequences for speaking up. I've lost brand deals and not, they're not like, they're not, it's not Dior or like lots of money, but there are deals that I was making money from that are no longer a revenue stream for me, which, which is, I get, I'm not saying this to make you, Oh, I'm like, I no, want we're not to trying feel to sorry you. for me. That's no, not no, I feel you. Yeah. I think it's so important yeah. to have these conversations. And, you know, Salon had a really incredible article about kind of a whole bunch of Palestinians. Palestinian journalists, Arab journalists, non-Arab or Palestinian journalists who were kind of spilling the beans about like the censorship at like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and all these news organizations, all these media organizations, and the self-censorship, which is what you're talking about and you're being real about. And I appreciate that because the hard mm -hmm. truth is, whether you're Palestinian, whether you're Iranian, whether you're anything, there everybody on this topic at one point in, in their life has self-censored, myself included. That's what happened at Vice. I'll be real. I quit. I mean, who gets a gig at the age of 20, wow. whatever, on HBO hosting their own like series of documentaries and quits? It's not because I'm some you know hero of integrity. It's because I was so frustrated to see like the story that should have been told not be told yet again that I was like, I can't be part of this. And like, plus they don't pay. Everyone knows Vice was paying really poorly. So, so there wasn't that much at stake. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, you, you, you deserve to get what you deserve. And I think that amen. this is like a real conversation because when I worked as a publicist, yeah. I'd have other white straight colleagues get promoted. I used to work for Michael B. Jordan. Did I ever benefit from him being in Creed? Absolutely not. Like there mm -hmm. is a lot that mm -hmm. goes when you are like disenfranchised in some way, not only am I queer, Muslim, mm -hmm. Persian, everything's disenfranchising me in some way. And it, it's funny because I, I do believe that in some ways God's like, we're going to give you everything so you have motherfucking mm -hmm. empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was like, you are not going to leave this life without being empathetic and wanting to take on every cause. And that is part of my yeah. purpose. So I do love it, but it does get frustrating. Like I, listen, Ahmed, for the last mm -hmm. 10 years, I've tried to get these shows mm -hmm. off the ground. The minute one of my co-hosts was white, 
The doors opened like it, it was insane. We're at WME, we're at yeah. Hulu, we're at yeah. Netflix within months. Okay, I spent 10 years and it was just, I was sitting there in the room and it was so funny. This producer looked at him and was like, oh, this is such a great idea. And I mean, he's very checked his white privilege. He was like, this is Amir's idea. Mm-hmm. It's not my idea. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they even look to him as the creator, it goes back to, and the and the reason I mention these things and people go, oh, why do you hate white people? All of this stuff that's happening in Palestine and Israel that happens with Black Lives Matter, that's happening in Ethiopia, all of this centers on whiteness. Right. All of it centers right. back to white supremacy. Right. The, and it's not about being white or not. I get it. We're all Middle yeah. Eastern in that area. But it's, again, supremacy. Mm-hmm. That comes from British ideals where it's like, you need to be better. You need to put down. You need to dehumanize. We cannot go blow up people's homes if we believe that they barbecue and celebrate birthdays. Someone and, had the and- audacity to ask me if Middle Eastern people celebrate birthdays. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yes, of course we celebrate. This idea that like there are images right now where people are, oh, Palestinians are so resilient. This 90% don't have running water, right? right. 91,000 are homeless. Why are we then glamorizing right. this idea right. of resilience? Like I understand that, but white people foam at the mouth of any kind of trauma porn. They love it. They're like, oh, look at these people. They were bombed and they're amazing. Because in all, I was talking to my dad about this, it, with all intensive purposes, Palestine should have been wiped out 20 years ago. There is someone there. There is God. If you don't believe in God, that's fine. There is some spiritual entity that is keeping that together because they cannot wipe it. And it's crazy. And that's when you said celebrating. I really resonated with that is because the fact of the matter is they should not be able to stand up to Israel, but they do. And it's like, that's, that's exactly my point. Also, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the fact that we still exist despite you know, all the porn of like trauma porn and like seeing their suffering and their victimization. I mean, I I just want to say two quick things because um, you talked about supremacy and there's all these, you know, diversions and accusations that are made when terms like ethnic cleansing or ethnic displacement or Jewish supremacy or criticizing Zionism is somehow, according to Facebook and Instagram, um, seen when you criticize Zionism as like equated to Judaism. So it's hate speech. Um, there's so much at stake and what's shifting is the terminology, the conversation and the people willing to step up to the table and actually talk about it. Um, yeah. When we when we rely on the media, which is, you know, defined the conflict as Israel versus Hamas, what is actually happening? Let's just quickly in 17 seconds break it down. You're first erasing ordinary Palestinian people who are not just victims of suffering and trauma. Yep. You're diverting attention away from the actual popular resistance both in the West Bank, occupied West Bank, which is the areas that Israel's annexed, um, and Gaza. Um, And, you know, there's families, as this whole thing started, by families in Jerusalem who've lived there for hundreds of years, in Sheikh Jarrah, and Silwan, and all these places, who have dealt with settler raids, violent raids by police, uh, you know, these illegal forced expulsions that violate international law. Um, And there's an entire system in place, which is why people like John Oliver and others call it apartheid, um, that is a system of discrimination and expulsion. Um, and this was happening long before the war happened. So when the media or anybody in your life, you know, kind of frames it as, oh, but Hamas and it's Hamas versus Israel, you're implying that if Hamas were to go away, that things would grow calm. But there's still the occupation. There's still all these issues, you know. And um, if we're going to just talk about supremacy, there's a link between Zionism and white supremacy. Um Zionism didn't, like, instead of combating white supremacy and anti-Semitism, Zionism has actually internalized those things. And they used it to kind of construct, like, this new, you know, Jewish person that kind of, I don't know, it's like, 
how can I say this? It's like, it's not possible um, to support the Zionist regime of Israel unless your mind has been kind of fried and twisted by white supremacy. You know, Zionism was developed in Europe by Zionists who seamlessly adopted the, you know, the kind of destiny ideology of Euro colonizing states. Um, Zionists were assisted by white supremacists and the European ruling class in their whole colonial project in Palestine. And if you look at the rhetoric on mainstream Israeli TV and even like journalists like Abby Martin, who in West Jerusalem were like interviewing like random people in the street who were like, we must kill all Palestinians in Gaza and destroy entire (laughs) neighborhoods. And like you have like mainstream TV anchors allowed to say this kind of genocidal stuff. I mean, that shows you as I was saying earlier, like the normalization of Arab states with Israel is heartbreaking, but the normalization of like calls for genocide and Israel being able to justify murdering hundreds and thousands of children and arresting them. I mean, these are children. These are children. They have nothing to do do with Hamas. So the fact that the question, why are you arresting 10 year olds? Like, yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, the fact that, you know, like the question of whether Palestinians have the right to self-defense is neglected speaks to the kind of supremacy of Zionism. Um, and, and to me, it's like, you know, to your earlier point, they should have been wiped out a while ago. I don't, I mean, what's really astonishing is like, despite all the, you know, ethnicizing and racializing and the persecution and the, and the collective punishment and everything, the wars waged and, uh, and the efforts to kind of colonize and annex land and violate international law flagrantly and all that's really on the record documented in terms of what the Israeli government's been doing for decades, Palestinians kind of continue to exist and to resist. And we've heard countless people say that, you know, oppressed and, you know, oppressed people will resist until the the end, you know? Um, And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's encouraging to see that the conversation is shifting ever so, ever so slightly. Absolutely. And and me and my dad always talk about this. The fear is when things get quiet, then all the bad stuff starts happening, right? All of these arrests, like they're arresting anyone who was in the street. Are you arresting the equal number of Jewish lynch mobs that were running around doing all that stuff too? See, this is, I think for me, I know life's not fair. I mean, I I know I hate to use these terms, but no, that's the right question to be asking. You're totally asking the right question. But it's true. Like, you know, and it's frustrating because I think I'm Middle Eastern and I'm frustrated. So I can only, and the reason I'm saying this is not to give white people a pass, but it's like to understand that this system is so Mm -hmm. complicated. So they want to go in with love. They want to message all lives matter-esque comments. It is, people are like, why do you hate Jewish people? I don't hate Jewish people. I've written it. I love Jewish people. I hate Zionism. And I will continue to hate Zionism until there's breath no longer breath in my body. And I don't care if that means I'm not going to get a TV show. I don't care yeah, if it no, means I'm never going to have a relationship. I don't more really power to, because that's no, what more I... No, more power to you because I think kind of, to be honest, back to the Black Lives movement of it all, like they really opened a space yeah. for people of color who are not white, who are marginalized for a myriad of yes. different reasons, whether gay, straight, or what have you. Um, you know, however compounded that kind of like, you know, sense of discrimination and marginalization might be by your various identities, there is now space to connect and and there's been a galvanization of of energy and momentum um, amongst groups and even amongst like Jewish, you know, Americans who are white or passing or whatever you want to call them that are, they're kind of speaking out in a way that they haven't before. Um, And, and I think that, 
you know, what the Zionist strategists of the past and today, Netanyahu as well, have managed to do really well, regrettably, is they kind of have manipulated the past trauma that Jews have endured, which is horrendous. And and it goes without saying for anyone who studied history uh, and the Holocaust, like they managed to to kind of galvanize support for this, these like oppressive, aggressive, discriminatory, racist, dehumanizing policies that not only disenfranchise Palestinian human beings in the West Bank, in Gaza, even their own citizens. And that's what's really different this time. You're seeing Palestinian citizens of Israel find allegiance again, rediscover their allegiance to, uh, you know, they've tried to kind of in these mixed cities like you know, kind of make these Palestinian citizens of Israel Israeli more than they are Palestinian. But um, Netanyahu, unfortunately, with his provocations, I think screwed him, screwed like this whole Zionist strategy a lot um, with what what went down the last two weeks. Um, and, and, you know, last thing, last mm-hmm. thing I want to say about the Hamas of it all, because I know people are listening to this or someone somewhere will listen to this and be like, but Hamas um, in you know, in a recent letter to the editor of the New York Times, one of the actual Jerusalem correspondents for the Times, he used to be their correspondent, David Shipler, he he mentioned that in 1981, so long before Hamas ever existed, Israel's uh, military, and the governor of Gaza, if you will, told him that, you know, da- this is David, the journalist, said that he was giving, so the Israeli governor was giving money to the Muslim bro- Brotherhood. Um, which was the precursor of Hamas. That's what Hamas was born out of. And he was doing it on the instructions Mm. of the Israeli authorities. And this is really documented. So, you know, my mom always used to say to me, politics is filthy and it's dirty. But like, you know, it's it's, it's 100% accurate to say that Israel um, has in some ways helped fund and support and establish Hamas through funding the Muslim Brotherhood. And And these... Absolutely. They learn this exactly. from America, Ahmed. I mean, they learn this from America does the same thing. They send, they, they, they create a vacuum exactly. with getting rid of Al Qaeda. ISIS comes in and they hate mm-hmm. ISIS. It's like, and you create, you helped uh, Saddam Hussein, you let him come to power. Then he destroyed the mm-hmm. Iran. Like you, it, these are just like, America has been doing this mm-hmm. for so long, but they do it more covertly, yep. you know, and, and people don't, and Americans don't care about these topics. They'd rather watch <laughs> I Netflix. Mean, yeah. So they don't know, you know, and it, yeah, no, it's, it's just, true. Sorry, no, I just no, had to say true. that. No, no, it's true. It's true. I was ahead. just going to say, and and you know, um, we started this conversation talking about trauma and fear, and obviously during the pandemic, so many of us on an individual level have been reflecting about like our lives and like how, like in your case, you're talking about like, do you want to have a show? Do you want to like have all these deals, or do you want to be able to speak freely? And what's the balance? Zionism itself is actually rooted in so much trauma and fear. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's about survival and, and, you know, the Jewish people, but like any other form of ethnic nationalism, it actually establishes a hierarchy. Um, and you know, that's where the discrimination and the racism all, all begins. And, and, you know, the Israeli occupation of the West Bank is by every definition an apartheid system. It is two legal systems for two ethnic groups. If a Jew and an Arab commit the same crime in the West Bank, the occupied West Bank, right, which Israel is occupying and where the majority of Palestinians live, the Jew will face a civil court. The Arab will face a military court. 
And that's at the heart of all this ethnic displacement and ethnic cleansing. People are like, well, they have court orders. Yeah, well, one side is allowed to prove that they own the land 600 years ago, which are Jewish people. The other side is actually not even allowed to. They don't even have the me mechanism. So like, it's, it's mind blowing the more of us that are in the know it's, it, the frustration isn't just born out of, like you said, how do you deal with the frustration of the censorship and all that stuff? The frustration is like, if you just look at it objectively, you know, it's impossible to argue that it's not apartheid. Um, but, you know, the reality is a lot of Israelis for a long time, because they're brainwashed into thinking, oh, this was a desert or, oh, no, this isn't apartheid because of this and the Jewish people and Zionism. And we were, we had our own trauma. I mean, honestly, I hate to speak so freely, but a lot of Israelis I've come to know, I've, I've, I've dated Jewish people, I've, you know, they fight the term apartheid because they genuinely believe that this kind of discrimination is somehow legitimate. They know it's discrimination. They know it's wrong to murder children. They know it's wrong to bomb hospitals in a pandemic. They know it's wrong to bomb the AP. Um, but they genuinely believe that, you know, discrimination, the war, the war crimes, all of it is legitimate. It's a matter of self-defense. And, you know, a lot of Jewish people and communities are fed narratives that are just straight up divorced from reality. I mean, you know, we're all read children's stories and myths and fables. Uh, I'm not saying the Holocaust was a fable. I'm not saying, um, you know, but but what else? I don't know how to say this. It's like the pat like. Palestine was not a largely uninhabited piece of desert before Jewish settlers came with weapons and took it over. Um, you know, during during the War of Independence, as Israel calls it, Palestinians like my family, like hundreds of thousands and millions of other families at this point, because it's been decades, they were not expelled by by just, you know, like there's this narrative that Jewish people have that they left on their own accord. Like literally, that's what they tell their children. No, I mean, it's, it's laughable, but it's so insane, right? Like, like, yeah, my parents just one day woke up in one of the most fertile parts of the Middle East, you know, one of the most holy and one of the you know places where their ancestors have left lived for decades. And they just chose to leave because, you know, you know, and, 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 you know, it's it's um, it's sad to see that Jewish refugees were so welcomed in, in Palestine in the 20s and the 30s. And then we've managed to get to right. where we are today. Which is really unfortunate. And what you said is really key. Why would you get up and leave where 1,500 prophets yeah, walk exactly. through that land? When you're in Al-Aqsa yeah. Mosque, you know, and they're they're celebrating. And the reason I say these things is not to be flippant. Of course, the Holocaust is not a fable. Of mm -hmm. course. But talking about one genocide does not cancel out your support or mm -hmm. anti, like, a, another genocide. Me speaking on this does not mean I don't support the Holocaust. Like, I, I just, that's the thing that well, really yeah, frustrates me, is that when people say that, it's like... That's what they have to do in order to... Yeah, they gaslight, 100% uh -huh. they're diverting and they're gaslighting. And you know what I usually say when they try to gaslight? Yeah. I'm like, they're like, oh, the conflict, and the, I'm like, first of all, it's pretty simple. There is an illegal occupation according to international law. The settlers are acting like colonialists. Right. There is apartheid. It is a slow, you know, Mark Ruffalo saying it's not a genocide. Well, what? Let's actually look at the definition of genocide and then you can decide if it's a genocide or not, you know? Um, but just. I'm sorry, Hulk. Take several seats. Like, the yeah, Hulk needs to take seriously. several seats. We don't need to hear from the Hulk. We're good. Like, we're good with Mark Ruffalo. You look cute. Stay in your corner. See, that's the thing with celebrity. Like, I've worked with a lot of A-list celebrities. It's great when they yeah. speak up, but it's also very annoying when they speak up with the lack of education. See, that's the thing that I'm like, if you want to speak on things, like, I did the research. 
don't go read a bunch of books. Do the yeah. research, right? Like a lot of people are like, I'm going to read two books and now I know everything about what it's like to be black in America. I'm sorry. You're right. never going to know what it's like to be <laughs> Palestinian. You can empathize, well, but white people need to stop with the guilt well, no, and the and, tears. And, and, like, just, you're not going to get it. You just have to wait well, and, and listen. And here's the, th- you and know? Here's the like, thing. You do need me. allies. Like, it, you don't need to be Palestinian or Iranian Absolutely. to recognize right from wrong no. or injustice and, and, you know, whatnot. But, but on the flip side, to your point, it's like, I don't know, these diversions when people, you know, re- respond to my comments or when I'm talking about this issue, they're like, well, you're anti-Semitic because you're this and you're, you know, and th- th- this has been yelled at me on a stage. Well, Palestinians are actually Christian. They're Muslim. And guess what? They're also Jewish. And so the fight for liberation, whether in Palestine or for, you know, black people or for any native or indigenous group or what have you, it shouldn't, it's like in Palestine, we do not welcome anti-Semitism or discrimination. But on the flip side, Absolutely even not. though it's important to condemn anti Semitism and like as any any sort of discrimination, you don't condemn it at the expense of diverting from the conversation that we have been suppressing for far too long, especially when it's a conversation about people who are mm-hmm. collectively being punished and being oppressed. And yeah, I, I feel like it's all kind Absolutely. of unraveling a little bit. I don't know where we're going to end up. Um, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy. We yeah. will see. Yeah. We will see. <laughs> TBD. TBD, right? And I think that this topic, it's very convoluted mm-hmm. and complicated. And people want to kind of simplify it because they want it to be spoon-fed to them. And I understand the media has to like kind of spoon-fed things. I mean, spoon-feed right. things to people and make it digestible. I get it. But also like on a deeper level, people are kind of so upset about the retaliation from Palestinian people. But I'm like, did you want them to play Scrabble? Like, what's the, what's the, because a lot of people message me, oh, there's so much debt. They're also, they killed. The thing, the fact of the matter is when you're reporting the news and saying seven Israelis versus 300, there is a categoric difference. I took a class in college that was about the importance of certain nationalities' lives Mm -hmm. in the media. American life is most important. If a a million Americans die, the world will stop. If a million Bangladeshis die in a storm, it's kind of like, eh. Like that, and that, I'm not saying that's how I feel. I'm saying that's from the media statement. When they report on stuff, they're like, half a million whatever like there's a lack of connection when it comes to whiteness right americans are generally seen as white europeans are seen as white why is it when a black girl goes missing there's no news a white girl goes missing she's blonde she's all over the news it's a whole story right that these are i don't i just don't want people to sleep on this shit like the reason i talk about these things is not because i have better things to do I do stand-up comedy. Right, I, I want to have my own show. Like, right. I have better things to do. The reason I talk about these things is because I want people to not sleep on things. People see my life. They might even see you. Oh, they're good looking. Mm-hmm. They're living their best lives. It mm-hmm. must be so easy. That is not... Having a blue mm-hmm. check mark on Instagram does not make a life. So 100%. it's important that the, the reason we talk about these things, right, like, is, is to have these conversations and to also, like, what you said was so key earlier was when you said the 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 youth that are on the ground in Palestine, the the... Persian youth are not going, we love the government, yeah. hate to America. They keep right. showing these old videos of Persians saying death to America. That's propaganda. Do your research. When you say it's Hamas, Hamas was created in 1987. Right. Do your research. This was right. happening before that. So it, it's just people say things. And then, of course, like I wanted to also address this with you as well. People, we're going to move on from Hamas, I promise. <laughs> this is the last thing. Is that a lot of people have messaged me. Hamas hates gay people. Oh, Hamas God. hates women. People were commenting on Bella Hadid's photo. I have, I, have, I have nothing better to do, so I went through <laughs> all the comments. But a lot of people were like, if you were, if you were in Hamas, they'd murder you. You're a woman. You're disgusting. All that stuff. So I think, are people saying these things to kind of 
convolute the conversation and make it it's hard a to have a conversation it's or a diversion I mean, away again from there's the, yeah it's a diversion there's truth to well, it well look but it's a diversion there's truth to right? any that's like you being like it's like literally it's a version of me being like it's horrible that the, if i said something like it's horrible that the israeli government thinks it has the right to murder dozens of children and then someone's like but the chinese are murdering uyghurs and the you know it's like yeah but let's right. talk about this thing um, and, you know, there's different levels and, you know, I just, it's perception dictates reality. So for Jewish people, when your entire world around you is like, you know, buying into this narrative of like, you know, most of Palestine was cultivated by Arab farmers, but then it wasn't. And, you know, if you grow up in Israel, your education system, all these things, they inform you in a way that's disconnected from historical facts, but that's your world. That's your perception. It's an alternate reality, but we've all in the U.S. lived through this alternate reality of the Trump era for four years. So, you know, it's like we're accustomed to this. Um, but yeah, like that's that's why like, you know, Jewish people tell themselves Palestinians are inherently violent because they didn't accept, you know, all these peace offers and they 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 tolerate these armed groups and they teach their children to hate Jews. You said that they show those videos in Iran of like, you know, young people back in the day chanting death to America, legit on social yeah. media, on Twitter, yeah. on Facebook. There are streaming videos of like Jewish extremist citizens of Israel running around the occupied, uh, running around Israel um, and um, yeah. chanting death to Arabs. Like it's, it, it, and you don't get in trouble for yeah. it. No one gets arrested. That's protected no. by the state. Um, so yeah, you know, I don't know how. Well, Arabs exactly. are brown, Ahmed, right? Well, Arabs right. are brown. I mean, you have to, the, the, the people want to take skin color out no. of it, but it's like, it's a real thing. Like it is a real thing. It is obvious. The fact is skin color, if, when you look at bones, you can't tell what color that person was. So it doesn't really matter. It's a yeah, constructed but it's thing. constructed for, <laughs> it's not biological. It's constructed, it's constructed for constructed. a reason, right? Like, like, you know, you know, Absolutely. the U S and Israel, I don't know how to explain it, but like the, we were talking about Black Lives Matter. I mean, they, that movement alone, right. as I was saying, has inspired so many people and, and they kind of, um, it became an indictment under Trump, especially of all forms of racism, injustice and discrimination, right? Um, and, and that I think right. for Palestine, there's like a special kinship because of what I mentioned earlier that I don't want to repeat, but, but it's really proving to me to be kind of the most potent and influential human rights movement since the civil rights marches in the 60s and i think the link between blm Agreed. the link between palestinian suffering and blm is kind of unbreakable and i think israel's kind of missing the mark if they're not um seeing the profound impact that the blm movement has had on all marginalized people especially the special relationship with palestine where there's actually you know common ground commonality and there's also connection and there's also an exchange of people and ideas and um yeah i mean i feel like I feel like um, the butt Hamas of it all is exhausting to talk about, but unfortunately, yeah. I'm so exhausting. I mean. <laughs> but we have to address it because I got a lot of messages when I said I was talking to you where people wanted yeah. that kind of to be kind of demystified and broken down. And I feel like we've accomplished that. But what you said even about the BLM movement and now Free Palestine is that what is the connection between the two? Is that white people are showing up next to us, yeah. right? That is and yeah. again, when white people speak, it's it's the volume is more amplified. When I speak, even though I'm not white, I'm white passing, my voice amplifies, right? I use humor as a way to get people mm -hmm. to dialogue about these things, whether it's queer issues, whether it's BLM, whether it's Free Palestine, all of those topics, like 
I know that because I look white, I have yeah. an advantage, right? I have a privilege. Like I'm aware of that. So I think it's just about being aware yeah. of all those things. And again, looking at all the insidious ways that there is propaganda run. Like even right now, a lot of people yeah. say I'm racist because I mentioned things. Being right. Jewish is not a race. That is a constructed yeah. thing. That is a religion. Why is it being Muslim and being Christian or being Hindu is not a race? How come being Jewish is now a race? Like these things are very calculated and it's good yeah. PR. As a publicist, I know yeah. this is great PR. You're cre- what you're doing is Israeli people have basically in the news said these quote unquote savage Palestinians are trying to ruin the only place in the Middle East that is like the Paris of the Middle East. They have, que- yeah. you know, they have pride. You're, you're yeah. free to drink. There is like this kind of exoticization that Americans do right. around Israel. Right. They get to go to birthright. They get to all, all of it, right? The partying, yeah. like Israeli men, all of that stuff. Like that is, you've created this way where Palestinians are fucking yeah. up the fun. And that it, it might sound elementary, but that's why people sometimes mm-hmm. go to war. They want to create this like, oh, Americans are welcome. Because most of the Middle East, yeah. that is not very welcome. You're not mm-hmm. allowed to be queer and out and about. But in Israel, you are, right? So that that kind of, like, for me, that's yeah. when it becomes insidious, when well, it's just well, good PR. You know, on the Hamas you know? of it all, because I want to deliver for those people who, you know, are in the comment section talking about Hamas. Yes. It is not, like, remember yes. this, like, beyond the fact that Israel helped create it. Hamas... You know, it's Islamism and it's extremist ideology, if you will. It, it's not sure. what keeps it from recognizing Israel. Like today, Netanyahu was like, until Israel is recognized as the Jewish state. And he's doing that on purpose because Hamas has kind of like uh, changed the, the, their, their approach to like, we're never going to recognize Israel. For them, it's just good politics. Let's be real. Like in the eyes of most Palestinians, yeah, the old right. strategy of Fatah, which is like the the you know the the Republican to the Democrat of the Palestinians, if you will, um, Fatah strategy of recognizing yeah. Israel and trying to work in this context of uh, apartheid and try and get stuff out of it on the international stage hasn't worked. It hasn't worked for decades. So that's right. why Hamas right. kind of became right. popular in in the moment that it did. It was democratically elected in that strip of land that Palestinians live on called Gaza because it's not right. a separate thing, right? Um, it ha- it, But they're also yeah. desperate, Ahmed, right? A lot of people kind of, of they're course. like, they think that they're like in America in a suburb and they're like, why would right. people vote for this terrorist organization? There are not a lot of choices. There are not a unlimited number of choices. We well, don't have Kanye West on the ballot. You know what I mean? Like people well, need well, to realize Hamas's that. performance like, in this war like raised its prestige among Palestinians there who are suffering for better or right. worse. And Netanyahu probably didn't imagine that, that that it would do it that much. It, it also made the Palestinians forget kind of the mismanagement and authoritarian nature of, of their rule in Gaza. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, and I right. think privately Netanyahu and the Israelis like have always had an interest in keeping Hamas in Gaza because it's a boogeyman, as I explained. Um, and Israel itself allowed Hamas to flourish as a counterweight to the the kind of PLO, which are the secular nationalists. You were talking about like Palestinians being depicted as intolerant, and, like they don't party and they don't. Well, the PLO is very secular. Right. Ramallah is very secular. But that strategy is one in which Israel is dividing and conquering. Right. And so Hamas's rule in Gaza kept the right. Palestinians divided and Palestinian political fragmentation has actually always been a key Israeli objective. Um, you know, Netanyahu deliberately provoked Hamas in order Got to it. prevent, um, you know, the, his opponents in the government from establishing a governing coalition. Like this whole thing happened because of him losing the ability in Israel to to 
to to kind of um, establish a governing coalition. It went to someone else in his party. And so he freaked out and he started like all these aggressive measures in Al-Aqsa. Like there's a whole part of the story that that a lot of people don't pay attention to because it's nitty gritty or it feels like it. But that's um, that's the, yeah, that's the reality of of where we are. Well, I mean, it makes sense. And, and I, again, I do have sympathy for people that throw their hands up and go, the Middle East is too complicated. I can't deal with it. I understand that. And again, as a white, straight yeah. man, cisgendered, you're allowed to change the channel. I understand. <laughs> so that's why it's important when people, well, right? I mean, it's true. Like they could change the channel. They're allowed to change the channel. But there are people like that right, are speaking right. on these things, right? You know, John Oliver that that are that are like amplifying it. I'm sure well, there will well, be will repercussions for that. You I know, and you these funny. things I, are, I are very layered. On Instagram, and I subtitled it. I spent like some money and time mm-hmm. to subtitle it the minute I saw him call it, you know, war crimes and apartheid, because I knew, I knew yeah. that it would be there would be efforts to erase it, right? As soon as he did it, and I knew that there was a yes. struggle for him yes. to even get them to allow him to do it, and obviously he took a risk. All this to say, right. the actual video clip on YouTube or on the HBO, you know, last uh, the show website, it has his whole show without that mm-hmm. segment, without the whole Israel Palestine. Yeah. Oh and my so god. I, I, and I, <laughs> Come I mean, on, me, man. Call me like uh, you know, I'm named after a prophet. Call me like uh, what you will. I knew that was going to happen. The minute I knew it happened, so I posted it. Yeah. Instagram blocked my content because obviously I don't have the rights to that footage. Ugh. But even though they blocked me, I'd, it had already gotten two million right. views, and all of this was intentional. Why? Because I knew they would try to erase it after the fact, and it's still not not uploaded sure. formally for the. Like, they're they're blocking it on Insta so that I don't show it, but then they're not showing it on the platform where they have the rights to show it. So if that doesn't point to the censorship. You know, it's, um, <laughs> that yeah. censorship is real. I mean, that's a real thing. I mean, it, it happens, it happened in PR, it happens in the room, it happens on TV shows where they retell history. They're doing a show on HBO called Oslo. I'm like, is this going <laughs> to yeah. be factual? Like, about the Palestinians? I mean, who knows, right? Because well, who well, is producing there was an this? For me. I mean, I'm not yeah, going to no, say there was, it. A, but there was one opportunity <laughs> that I'm sad I missed in in terms of working with HBO on, on a series that they were doing about Israel and Palestine. They wanted me to like be there as a kind of contributing producer to make sure that things were accurate and whatnot. Um, it didn't happen for some reasons, but right, like, yeah, I think right. that stuff's important. I mean, look for those people who are like, Israel's got a problem and sure. it's called Hamas. Let me tell you, Israel doesn't have a Hamas problem. Israel has a Palestine problem. It has a Palestinian people problem. It dominates yep. and brutalizes another yes. people. And until that kind of domination and brutalization yep. ends, every ceasefire, like the one we just saw, is just going to be a small little gap in time until the next one. Um, regardless of whether Hamas... Yeah. Exactly. Which is also <laughs> bullshit, right? I mean, they they went to Friday prayer. So I'm like, how how is that a ceasefire? Like, they literally said ceasefire and people are running around yeah, circles with the next tear day gas. I'm like, I just ceasefire. don't, like, yeah, I for, don't for understand. People who don't know, it's like the next day at the heart of it all where it <laughs> happened at the third holiest site in Islam, like within less than 12 hours, they just started firing bullets and tear gas at worshipers and, you know, people who were just going for Friday prayer. And, you know, the reason that most Washington politicians mm-hmm. and most American Jewish leaders in the past didn't want to reckon with the fact that Israel's problem is not a Hamas problem, it's a Palestinian problem the exact reason that that's the truth is why they keep talking about Hamas. Because they don't want to talk about Palestinian people. 
And that would imply that these people deserve mm-hmm. dignity and deserve rights and deserve justice. And under the current Israeli regime, they, of course, are not afforded that. And that's why it's really the biggest shift to me that's come out of this beyond the conversation, everything we're talking about is sort of, and it might it might not last, like it's hard to know, but there's been an awakening of sorts, I would say, amongst Palestinian citizens of Israel in terms of where their allegiance should lie as a result of kind of the unprecedented brutality of the bombardment on Gaza. Yes. More people are speaking out in a way from the other mm-hmm. side, right, from the Israeli side than I've ever seen before. So, I mean, there there are good shifts, but I also think like what you said is really key about this conversation continuing to have it and not letting kind of right. the steam die out, right? And that is, you know, like you said, it's like the ceasefire and then there's like the in-between time. And then for me, when when the news isn't reporting, I'm like, wait a second, mm-hmm. let me get to Al Jazeera mm-hmm. English. Let me figure out like what's really going on, right? All of the, and again, I understand the Middle East is built on like a very unstable platform, but like w- that is just culturally, I mean, we were talking about this offline. Middle Eastern people are a lot, yeah. we're, we're extra. So are the politicians, right? When Netanyahu's like talking to Hillary Clinton a couple years ago and is like, I'll do whatever I want, human rights violations, and you're going to accept mm-hmm. it. And she like shook his hand. Like Middle exactly. Eastern people exactly. are very charismatic. Mm-hmm. They're very dictatorship, even when they're not politicians. <laughs> you like, mean like my mother? Anyone's, anyone that has a Middle Eastern dad, <laughs> no. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. When are you getting married? What are you doing next? Yeah. When are you going to eat? Like, you know, even my mom with this, she was like texting me like, did you ask my question? <laughs> from Ahmed. I'm like, yes, I know. I asked the question. You know, but, like, it's like, it, that's just kind of yeah. how no, they no, are. Go but, on, go yeah. on. I was, I was just going to say, go ahead. Ahmed. I was just going to say, it's like, no, you know, a lot of people always are like, okay, so what? You think we should boycott Israel? You think, and like, people get very offended at the idea of trying to apply pressure sure, on Israel sure. outside of the fact that no one else in the UN or the US or all these people who send billions of dollars of weapons to Israel to continue to bomb places like Gaza. And then they send hundreds of millions of dollars to to rebuild Gaza so that next time they can send weapons and fighter jets and the strongest in the world so they can bomb it. I mean, it's a loop, right? We're all living our lives in these like tragic loops. Right. Um, but what I'm trying to say is if you just look very quickly at history um, and that video that you shared about BDS, for as much as like the U.S. is trying to criminalize BDS because it's this attempt to hold the Israeli government accountable mm-hmm. because that's what our government's not doing and instead spending our taxpayer money to, to, to support them. Well, these narratives and these campaigns for liberation, because it is liberation for people, it it's, um, how can I say this? Um, uh, the only thing that can actually bring liber- liberation, if you're a student of history, is if the cost of the occupation starts to outweigh the benefits to Israel. Because honestly, occupation as colonizers, mm-hmm. it's always, there are always benefits, right? Um, but for that to happen, it would require, as it did for other apartheids and other occupations, massive external pressure. So we are not yet seeing, despite the shift, like as you and I both know, man, like we are not seeing a massive external pressure. In South Africa, there was international sanctions. There was an arms embargo and a global boycott that eventually forced the collapse of a racist supremacist regime. So the brutal kind of, yeah, but Ahmad, America had to step in, right? right? When right. Clinton was talking right. about the Olympics, ignoring that, nothing was getting done. Until America steps in, until we stop drinking Starbucks, which I'm not, <laughs> like, I'm still drinking Starbucks. Like, until we start, they are giving from, these companies are exactly. giving from their profits, not right. from, like, a percentage. Right. They are giving from their gross profit. I went to business yeah, school, honey. Yeah. That's a lot yeah. of money. Right. The gross right. profits, you've taken all the overhead out. For people who don't know, you've taken all the expenses out. It is literally right. cold, hard cash that's going directly directly yeah. to, to murdering children like 
when you did that number, right, what they were saying, oh, they're all terrorists that we killed. So you're saying 18 of that 232, if you do the statistics, are so the children no, I, are terrorists? I, 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 exactly. I mean, look, like, you and know? there's history. Like we talked about South Africa. Look at the American South. Hello, the United States. It wasn't. It wasn't like it wasn't like a global <laughs> boycott and an arms embargo in the states. It was legislation, Supreme Court decisions that imposed equal yes. rights. That for, literally in the U.S., a country that's just what how many hundred years old, we had to impose equal rights and end racial segregation of Jim Crow. And look today, it's still happening. Black people being shot. All this, you know, not having equal access to all these, ben, mm-hmm. you know, basic rights, you know, healthcare and whatnot. Um, and so, yeah, in each case, it's the dominant, right. excuse me, it's the dominant group that was so entrenched in its own narrative, which is exactly what's happening in Israel, that it becomes so disconnected from humanity in general and the humanity of their quote unquote, like, you know, uh, enemy, um, that the only thing you can do to your point exactly. where the U.S. had to go in in South Africa or what have you is outside coercion and pressure to, to, to kind of move them towards justice well i mean listen if someone told you you could do whatever the fuck you wanted without any sanctions i mean look at iran they can't even buy saffron i mean i have family members there that we have to send them stuff because they can't afford it everything's inflated they have so many sanctions down their throat and they're not doing ethnic cleansing like you know it's like again iran's made mistakes i'm not defending it i'm not i don't people but oh he's persian he's defending but it's but the fact of the matter is this issue is a lot deeper than people are giving it credit for right the people are just thinking oh well they're just when you have nothing to lose i think it was voltaire or the art of war i'm not sure when you have nothing to lose you are the most dangerous and pals you take people's children people are separating their siblings they don't die together i mean people don't know some of this insidious stuff i'm like when you've lost your house Mm -hmm. you're you're, you have no money you have no family left i mean aren't you going to retaliate i mean i would i'm and and if you don't have anything but but rocks and shit you're going to throw that like, I, I just, it, then you're going to blow up yourself. I and mean, people, mm-hmm. are, it's very easy mm-hmm. from a place of privilege to say, exactly. I would never do that. I've been, I've been guilty of that. Oh, I would never steal. I lost my wallet when I was in Thailand <laughs> and I wanted to steal food. No, I know. But that's okay. a beautiful, like, but that's a beautiful it, it, I, I mean, example it, it, You of don't like, know where you're going to end yeah, up. Yeah. Because, yeah, you can't, there's two, I think, you know, I don't know. No, I don't want to get too philosophical, but yeah, it sounds like what you're describing is like, and what you're describing, no, please do that. You can be, you what can you're get describing philosophical. Is, is empathy. And I think when people talk about what's missing in media and yeah. journalism and storytelling, I think, um, you know, I applied to this program at Stanford. I got in, it got canceled. But part of what I applied was like, I really wanted to study like how is em- empathy generated in audiences, like consumers of media, and how is empathy generated or felt or experienced and translated by people who are producing media? Because I got to say, with all the changes in the media in the last few years and, and just in general, like decentralization, all this stuff, 24-hour news cycles, and all the polarization of, of kind of society in the U.S. and abroad and like, you know, the whole conservative liberal thing and the extremity of it all. I feel like we've just lost that ability to even stop for a second and consider like we're so caught up like that we don't even stop and consider to your point where right. it's like, OK, well, now I lost my wallet. and I'm starving. So now I get what it's like, like when people might want to steal because like I'm actually starving. <laughs> I need fuel for my body. And, you yeah. know, look at these. Yeah. You know, look yeah. at these. The the reason the wall in Israel was built is so that Israelis do not see Palestinians. Um, 
the reason there are separate roads that settlers and Jewish people can take and Palestinians can't is for that same reason. You know, there's this term, and when we talk about seeing, like there's this term in uh, South Africa, I think it's in Afrikaans, called sawubona. And what it actually means is like to be able to actually see someone, like I see you. It, it's like an African tribe kind of greeting, right? Um, and it's the most common greeting in the Zulu tribe. And the reason I'm diverting to this crazy word is it really kind of guided a lot of my career. And I think if, if it, it could be at the heart and the kind of like, like the core of the solution to the Israeli-Palestinian uh, war and conflict and, and the oppression and, and this, this disaster that, that we're seeing unfold time and time again and causing so much problem. Sabubona means I see you. I value you. You're important to me. Like I am, you know, it's like an, I'm acknowledging you as a human with nuances and flaws and virtues and all those things. And um, in Israel, there is a deliberate effort by the state not only to dehumanize Palestinian people, but to make them invisible. Um, you know, to, to make it so that sabubona between Israeli Jewish people and Palestinian human beings, both human beings, difficult because it's a lot easier to support this level of oppression if you can lie to yourself that it's not happening. Exactly. Or you well, don't have to look, look at, at it, it right? Like, and, and that goes back happening. to kind of the white guilt. White guilt. Yeah. They're, they're, and you go back to that white guilt. Like I remember when I was sharing a lot of my coming out story on Clubhouse, like I have a big platform there and a lot of people were like, oh, Amir, but you've gotten past it. Stop going back to the past. And that kind of toxic positivity that people love to exhibit is that at the end of the day, not seeing that, right? Even the Mexico wall, we don't need to, and all those images of like, you know, Mexican families holding hands across the wall, all of these resilient, all this like poetic glamorizing trauma, that is something that I, it really makes my skin crawl. And even like when this Palestinian stuff became too much, one day I was having a lot of anxiety. I stepped away from Instagram for a day and I, for a day and I realized, oh my God, like I have the privilege to do that. Like people that are living in it, like the fact that like what they bombed was 11 children who were there to get trauma help is literally stranger than fiction. You can't write this better. Like that's real life. That's insane. They literally got blown up in a traumatic zone where they were trying to get help for their trauma. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's almost you like know, you exactly. either and cry or why, laugh. Like, like, um, when you say you can't write that, like the, the, the portion, there were a lot of things censored out of the documentary that I worked on uh, for Vice on HBO. But the yeah. one scene of Swedish mm -hmm. settlers who just arrived to, to Israel kicking a family that had been there for hundreds of years illegally because they didn't have the right court order from for all four families and so on. It was pouring rain. It was like dramatic. Like I just couldn't have spent $10 million. And, and like, if I were filming this for Hollywood, it would have been impossible to, to document kind of that visceral moment. Right. And it, it, it like illustrated the right. heart core of the issue, you know, and they took it out. And when they took it out, they were like, yo, the settlements are crazy. Like, we, we just can't even go there. We don't want to, you know, it's just going to be open up a can of worms. Some people feel this. And I'm like, so why the hell are we going there? And I, I'm not here trying to trash Vice. Vice has done some good reporting there. But, like, there was no just, you're like, sure. Um, no, but there... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I didn't I mean just, to sound. I, I didn't mean I, to sound flippant. I, I was. I, I was actually agreeing with you. <laughs> sorry, no, I'm just I, kind I like of petty. My, my point is like when you censor that out and you don't <laughs> explain it, it's 
it's like you're just doing such a disservice because like to your point, all those privileged people who can step away from Instagram and the destruction that we saw, like they're also complicit, whether they know it or right. not. This is your money that's being taxed sure. out of your paychecks that's sure. going to supporting this, you know, and it impacts you because everything connects in right. the end. Right. And so, you know, you are, I don't know, I, I, I sometimes I'm like lost in this world as you both, you and I both know, like between like the East and the West. And sometimes it's like, well, I can't go there because they're, they're hurting my people. But it's like, but my people are also pretty screwed up and, the, and they're hurting their own people. And, you know, so it's just because it's like, you know, maybe we just, I don't know. It's, it's the most oh, it's convoluted. It's complicated. That's why when people dumb it down, I get frustrated and I need to correct them. I'm like, it's not, it just, okay. Oh, Iran should accept queer people. Stop talking about it. Iran is accepting of trans exactly. people in a way that America never has been able to do. No. So again, I'm not defending Iran. I'm just saying they have protection for trans people. Trans murder is at an all-time low in Iran. Like, again, they do believe yeah, that being trans is a mental they, illness. They I understand, yeah, okay? Yeah. But the fact is, yeah, but they're subsidizing it. They're getting help. There, there's people in, in America, I have friends who cannot get hormones. During the pandemic, they couldn't get top surgery. Like, mm, there's a mm. lot of stuff here that, again, Americans love to turn their nose at the Middle East, at Asia, at Europe. But you don't, like, look at your own shit first. Like, that, and that's kind of where, like, I get frustrated, like, even with the New York Times, right? Like, yeah. I know you yeah, worked for yeah. them, the whole thing with Bella Hadid, that, like, Jeez. long ad. That's very yeah. Middle Eastern propaganda bullshit. That's stuff right, that America right. would turn Except its eye the, at and be like, the New York oh, Times we would it. never do that. I mean, yeah. The New York Times and, and and somewhere that people exalt and and respect. It's not like some dink a dink chronicle of something. It's like a the, real the, the, like, the amount respected of, the newspaper. Amount of That's hate so embarrassing that for that rabbi is just and that he's unleashed and despite that, you know, he's right. selling best selling books and it's just insane. It makes me yeah. <laughs> of course he is. People love people love hate. Hate. put that on a shirt. People put love that on a shirt people love hate. I think they do. Yeah. They really do. Listen, listen, people love that. My sister's um an Islamic writer and she has no like literally has no face. And people throw her so much hate and she, literally she has no presence. Like you can't even see mm -hmm. her but people like freak out and and there's a book like it's it's called um looking for Allah seek, seeking Jesus um no, was it? Yeah, I think yeah. it's Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's an anti-Islamic book and it constantly is competing with her book because, and they don't even know, Amazon doesn't even know how to categorize Islamic books because they don't understand. They literally put an anti-Islamic book in the Muslim category. Like that, that I know mm. it sounds like petty and small, but that's the kind of stuff where they don't know where to put us, right? Like when I go into a meeting, they're like, let's yeah, focus yeah. on your yeah, queerness. Same. We don't know what to do with the Muslim thing. Yeah. I am not Yo, a practicing really, Muslim. Yeah, right? Like that. I talk about it because I know it's a disruptor. That more it's like they can only see you as that and then they get confused because they can't help but not see like you know the beautiful yeah. dark skin and what have you or whatever it might be that makes you no and then they, they like can care about any of that stuff yeah they, it is exactly but it's they trauma wanna, porn like, uh, box you in and you know sell you to the highest bidder so we had an amazing conversation with ahmed eldin literally the number one Palestinian like reporter he knows like everything from the ground up so that is really the best resource on this topic 
um, about what's going on in Israel and Palestine. So I really, really recommend you follow him, Ahmed Eldin, A-H-M-E-D-E-L-D-I-N on Instagram and all platforms. It's amazing. Um, definitely go follow him. And, you know, we were having an amazing, fruitful conversation and it now being pride, um, especially with Megan McCain, according to Ahmed, outing him on live TV. And there was an amazing conversation they had back and forth on Twitter um, where they realized, Megan realized what she had done and really apologized and took ownership of it. And that really speaks to Ahmed's way of operating and the way that he reports and his energy. Um, So I highly recommend y'all go follow him and really kind of allow this conversation that we've had um, together to really seep in and to take um, flight. So that's about it. And I'm Amir Yoss and this is The Take On and thanks for being here, y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Take On. The Take On is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Kyle Moore, and is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about me and The Take On at bpn.fm backslash The Take On. And of course, on my Instagram at Amir Yas Official. Yes, honey, we're official. Make sure to subscribe and rate The Take On wherever you stream your podcast and keep tuning in for more amazing guests. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.